you know, since we were making this podcast and through this pride flag, trying to shine a light on the LGBTQ plus communities. And I'm wondering from you, you know, what do you need from us moving forward with this podcast? Not only with this, but I, I think what you all are doing is interesting. And y'all need to push people to keep asking the why, even if even when the why makes them uncomfortable, even when the why could show that they are culpable as well. Because it's not until you get the answer to the why that you can figure out the solution. Stop accepting something exactly how someone puts it to you. Keep asking. Keep digging. Listen to your instincts about these these stories, these situations. Um, because we are probably one of the first generations that have the network power access to really pull back the curtains on things that have been sheltered, hidden, sold to us for generations. That was from my interview with Dominique Morgan, who you'll be hearing more from later. As a straight cis couple, we know that the pride flag is not for us. So we spoke to people within the LGBTQ community to find out what it means to them. As Dominique said, we've been pushing ourselves to ask the whys. To keep having these sometimes uncomfortable conversations. So that through the lens of the pride flag, we can create a platform for the people it represents. That's right. Cue the music. I'm Mark. I'm Sam. You're listening to Materials, a podcast about the objects we own and what they say about who we are. Materials, the hidden complexities behind these everyday things. Today's episode, The Pride Flag. It's 1974. Harvey Milk, an openly gay politician, challenged Gilbert Baker, an artist and gay rights activist from Kansas, to design a flag to represent the burgeoning LGBTQ movement. What he came up with was eight horizontal colored stripes. Hot pink for sex, red for life, orange for healing, yellow for sunlight, green for nature, turquoise for magic and art, indigo for serenity, and violet for spirit. And And thus, the pride flag was born. Since then, it's been a force of representation and liberation around the world. But we wanted to know what the symbol means to the people of that community. So we asked. We talked to a lot of people about the pride flag. We sure have. In fact, we've talked to so many people that we'll be covering the pride flag over two episodes. One person we spoke to about the pride flag was Mike LaRocco. He's a gay man and fellow regular at the 3D Cafe. It's a local cafe I go to all the time. (laughs) The 3D Cafe. Yes, it's Mark's favorite place. He talks about it a lot. Hey Sam, it's Saturday morning. You know where we should go? The 3D Cafe. Hey Sam, how was your day? Let me tell you about what happened at the 3D Cafe. I feel like I live in the 3D Cafe and I'm never there. (laughs) Why wouldn't you want to live in the 3D Cafe? It's the best. It's mine! (laughs) It's It's great. Oh my god. Anyway, Anyway, back in the 90s, Mike lived in New York City and was very involved in the LGBTQ community. Mike talked about something that almost everyone we interviewed touched on. It's about how the flag, in a very practical way, serves as a marker. It's a symbol that shows you who your allies are. There was always a huge flag uh, 
displayed in front of the Gay and Lesbian Center. Uh, a lot of stores who were gay-friendly uh, had them displayed in the windows all over Chelsea, all over the East and West Village. But over there, it's, it's just uh, displayed proudly and immensely and with a lot of uh, love and courage. So that was what it was like back in the 90s, but we wanted to know more about what it's like today. So I got our friend Tracy on the phone to get their perspective. They're a non-binary Latinx person living in Boston. The Pride flag has had a profound role in their work as an artist, activist, and mental health professional. Tracy skyped in from their bedroom where the Pride flag hangs above their bed. I do tend to see it as a way that people can like visibly identify themselves as being an LGBTQ person. So if you're like on the street and you've got like a rainbow pin on your backpack or in your jacket or whatever, or also being someone who could be like an ally or beyond an ally. So someone from my community who might be supportive should anything happen in a space. But when I was working in uh, um, mental health, I did have a pride flag up in my office as a way to communicate that I did have competency with uh, LGBTQ issues as a member of the community and stuff like that. I see the flag as a tool of, of showing up, right? Like this idea that you can walk through with a rainbow flag on your t-shirt and you instantly know somebody like you or somebody that loves someone like you is near you so that that opportunity for solidarity even if the platform in which the solidarity takes place isn't really meant for you. That was Dominique Morgan, who you heard from in the beginning. He's the national director of Black and Pink, an organization I used to volunteer at that supports the incarcerated LGBTQ community. Dominique is a musician, activist, educator, among other things. He was incarcerated for eight and a half years, 18 months of which he was in solitary confinement. Something we learned talking to Dominique is that the pride flag isn't all rainbows and sunshine. Behind the colors are some real problems, especially to do with minority representation within the LGBTQ community. This problem isn't just something that happens to people in prison. It's an experience lived by minorities from all walks of life. Our neighbor Cecil also experiences this underrepresentation. He's an educator working for New York City public schools. He's the kind of person that radiates positivity. Here's what he had to say about his experience with the pride flag. Being a black, darker skinned male, I feel like it doesn't represent me and my struggles or time as a GLBT, LGBT male. I feel like the pride flag sometimes only represents the majority, which majority of LGBT in the world are going to be like white Anglo-Saxon males. I see the flag as a space of liberation, but liberation for some. You know, most people who look like me and who look like, you know, my trans family and our inside family with Black and Pink members don't look like the people that most folks created that flag for. Because pride that comes from pride, right, is about a space of power.
When you're not in that space of power, you're often expected to live up to a stereotype. Cecil feels like there are certain expectations of him. He broke it down into two groups, the hyperfem. So they're like, gotta be more feminine. So put them out front. And they're like voguing and dancing and like fashion, you know, whatever. And the alpha male. They're big, they're masculine, they're bold, they have muscles protruding from everything. Yeah. They're a basketball player or a football player type. And they're like, you know, kind of like thuggish, I guess, mm -hmm. which is like another realm of that as well. Where does Cecil fit in with that? Nowhere. I don't see myself fitting in those two groups, mm -hmm. which sometimes makes it hard when meeting people or talking with people because it's like, so you play basketball? Mm. You play football? Have you been arrested? Yeah. Have you done this? Have you done that? And I'm like, uh, no. Oh, like, you're not the type of black guy that I've thought about. Great. Yeah. Where does incarcerated queer folks, where's our color in this flag? Where's our representation mm -hmm. in that? When you don't have access to the words or this idea that I can be an individual and that I can be in charge of how I look and how I show up and how the world sees me, um, it's very difficult. And the sad and honest truth is your representation is just by living. I realized that eight and a half years in prison, I never saw a flag. I never saw anything rainbow. So we were creating these groups of families, loving each other and supporting each other and making sure we ate and making sure that we stayed out of segregation and fighting and just making sure we were safe. It wasn't called pride. It was just us living. It was just us making it through. It was just um, and that's what I think is interesting about the DNA of queer people. We inherently know how to survive and come together. And not knowing that our, that our community has been doing that for generations, right? We just knew I have a little bit of something, you have a little bit of something. Most of the folks in here hate us or don't want us to make it. Well, let's come together and just make sure we survive in regards to pride, everything's so mainstream and you're still seeing our young people, our, our community members um, be othered in the midst of this idea that pride is universal and safe. If something excludes the majority of folks, then is it really what we think it is? And I think that's just a conversation the queer community needs to have more and more. You know, you're living in the shadow of this beautiful, hopeful flag but then it's an important image to be in the space because then we can see how far what we want and where we are like what the distance is but we are a resilient community we are survivors of lots of various different things and then there's also you know a lot of talents skills beauty experiences narratives that have kept the as Tracy just pointed out, there's a lot of beauty and pain tied up with the flag and those it represents. Now the spotlight on the pride flag is brighter than ever. We need to make sure that people aren't being left behind, and that acknowledgement is given to the community as a whole and everyone within it. People are displaying flags uh, all over the place now, especially during Pride Month, which I think it should be displayed going year 
around. <laughs> you know, this is shows that the, the, the world will to recognize this, not just for one day or one month, for the whole entire year, the year for eternity. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Our show today was produced by me, Mark Tang. And me, Sam Oberg. We would like to thank Mike Lavaco, Cecil Wilder, Tracy Huerta, and Dominique Morgan. As well as Eric Molinsky, our classmates at NYU, and everyone else we spoke to about this podcast. To learn more about Black and Pink, you can check out their website at blackandpink.org. And if you're interested in getting involved, here's Dominique on how we can best help out. Go to www.blackandpink.org and check out our pen pal site and our pen pal system. Um, there are thousands of incarcerated people who just need to be seen and affirmed. There's nothing more important to a day than when you hear a letter slide under your door when you're in those walls. Um, go through our database and find someone who sounds like a person that you could become a friend with and start showing up for our people because they need us. And here's Tracy closing us out with a special message to the Pride Flag. Hi, Pride Flag. Um, Got some really important things to say to you. Um, We've lived together for a long time. And uh, I think you lived in my mind and in my body and my soul, like, before we were ever together. And then I found you in such an unusual place. And I took you from that place where you didn't belong, and I brought you somewhere where you did belong. And you've seen a lot of really exciting but complicated days. And you brought me closer to a lot of other people, even if it was like loving from a distance by somebody just seeing us together. And you're there hanging above me every night when I go to sleep. You're with me, watching over me. And I'm so looking forward to the ways that I can be somebody who I want to be and for you to change and develop with my other identities all being together. And I love you a lot.